You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Boromir. Friends, I welcome you back to part two of our discussion on Extraordinary Attorney Wu. Now, before we jump in, in case you missed it, Dramas Over Flowers just turned five years old. And in celebration, we wanted to talk about the Korean drama writers who have kept us hooked to this fandom. Drama writers have a lot of our admiration, but we rarely talk about the technicalities of how they create these stories. How do they arrive at their themes? How do they position dynamics between characters? Which tropes are more heavily used in certain genres? And how does that impact the audience's viewing experience? Writing a K-drama may often seem formulaic, but we want to focus on the fact that it's a science as well as an art. And to discuss that, we are holding a live stream on 18th September. Link to register for the free live stream is down below. But in case you want to attend but the timing isn't right for you, remember to sign up to our mailing list because our lovely newsletter audience is going to get a replay link of the live stream once it's done. But hey, if you want to talk to us about the writers you love and the themes you've noticed in their writing, then definitely attend the live stream. We look forward to seeing you there. And now, let's talk some more Woo to the Young to the Woo. Uh, can I just go back to um, like the menu thing, like my last thought on, on this? Like I was saying to you guys last night after I finished watching it that, okay, having finished the show, I'll give Minu a chance. I didn't mean that, I, that he had been redeemed or that that was an okay place that he had gone to. But I do feel like he had taken the tiniest, tiniest step in that. See, here's the thing, like with what uh, Zainab and Nisi, you were saying about the dehumanization and the, you know, how that the prejudice of something like ableism or racism comes from such a deep place of dehumanization. And I actually think that if you, I mean, if the writers had the capacity and if, or if you were to imagine uh, the next 10 episodes, that at the very end of episode 16, you, or sort of the very end of the show, you get this sense, or I got a sense, that Minu is finally entertaining the possibility of Yongu's humanity. Like, she's not this threat, threat, nothing but a threat. He's actually beginning to see, hold on, she's a person too. So once you go on that journey of being able to humanize a person, like, you know, sympathy is, is the first step, right? then you can move on to empathy, then you can move on to just being able to change the way you see a group of people or a specific person. And changing the way you see one specific person may open the door to you being able to generalize that thinking to anyone who's like her. Uh, You know, like that development potential exists and I see Zayn making a face that she doesn't believe it. And I I don't, you know, I don't disagree. No, no, I, yeah, no, I was just thinking... um, (laughs) like a character that has been like has kind of gone through that um but that was like a multi-season arc and is like I just feel like the that's like the main issue of this drama whereas they brought so many like issues but then they didn't have the capacity or like they just kind of dropped the ball where they just didn't answer any questions and honestly like none of the characters really went through very much development like I feel like they're all in a very similar place to where they started, even if they did like bring up some issues, they just never successfully concluded them. Which show are you thinking of? Oh, I was thinking about Zuko from 
have. Oh, you yes. know, he came up. Did he come up in our conversation about something yeah, else? Yeah, he did early on. <laughs> yeah. No, we we were. Oh, we were. Oh not no, we were talking about different drama. Different drama. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were talking about Arsenal awesome Academy. Uh, <laughs> but that's, but Zuko is such a good example because that is. was the issue, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's I kind of the think colonizer like, in this situation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a high bar. Yeah, that is a really high bar. But mm-hmm. we needed more scenes with Kwon Minu and Uyongu, just the two of them, and Kwon Minu mm-hmm. facing his issues with her head on and not via Suyong. He never really directly tells Uyongu what his problem with her is. He always does it via other people or through passive aggressive blog posts and stuff like yeah. that. And he really need we needed that confrontation to happen for any further development yeah. because if yes. you allow Uyungu to defend herself to this guy's twisted logic, she would have done a brilliant job. The rest of us would be fumbling. Oh, this reminds me though that one time where she does get semi confronted, or he semi confronts her with the blog yeah. post. Not confront. I was, but, you yeah, know. I was just going to bring that yeah, up. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, is that sh- the way that she reacts to that? Is oh yeah, he's right. I have been given an advantage because of the, you oh. know. But I, that wasn't even true. One, it wasn't even true. But Two, she didn't why? know that it was presented to her as if it was true. Like her own father <sighs> presented it to her as if it was true. And, and the thing is, the drama itself models the. But they okay, made her initially. Be apologetic for receiving the supposed because privilege. Because people, people around her told her that that's the only reason you have the job. You know this. This is what happens, right? That when somebody is put on the spot and is told that you have had something done for you and you have no defense because you had no control over that situation, you are first apologetic because you have no other data. And you didn't want to have harmed anybody. No, but you know you're disadvantaged. You know that that system doesn't favor you. She knows the system doesn't favor she, her. You might know Why would that, she then but... say that, oh, no, that's really terrible. I did, in fact, receive an advantage my co-workers didn't. Because Uyumu's character, this is consistent at least with how she's been written from the very first episode. Anytime she does something, quote unquote, different, she apologizes for it. She says, oh, it's because I, she explains it. And often she apologizes or she explains in an apologetic tone. It's because I'm different. Yes, I... I because that's I'm how sorry, she I, was raised. That's how yeah, she was raised. Exactly. To, to understand that she is... There's something that's like off about her. Like her dad doesn't... Her dad has always been like, oh, like you make me feel lonely. You make me feel sad. Like he loves her a lot. But at the same time, like those are the messages she's been... <laughs> saying the, dad, the dad is the real villain. That's what I've been saying. Dude, I have gotten so much hate on the blog post for saying that. You, you Do you really want to go and say this in public? No, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Say it, say it, please. It's fine. No, no. I'm, very, I'm, I'm fine with being canceled. Like, yeah, that's how I personally feel. The dad is the real villain. Like, honestly, even like unconsciously, he still ends up doing villainous. Like, all the bad things have been because of him, because of his choices, honestly, like. Also, yeah. thank goodness the guy didn't become a lawyer because he's stupid. He's so stupid. No. Like his his that junior woman, like the CEO of Hanbada, did not know that Wu was at least she she could have suspected, but she didn't actually know. He went to her office and just told her, just handed her a card. Like, yep. <sighs> <laughs> oh, you know what? At the same time, I'm not willing, even though he's done these. Very okay, inadvisable like things. Him, Saya, but like we also have issues with him, and it's like somebody's choking us and 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 stopping us from saying that we also have issues with him. It's like he can only be a good. Dad. No, no, we also have issues is one thing, but like I I don't want to sort of wholesale say he's the villain. 
he is no, he's you know, he's a person. He's a human. He's done lots of stupid things. Sure, but he also raised I, I her. I resent that the dad gets to be a human and the mom is like absolute villain personified, even though she was written in such a half-hearted way. Like, what was this villainy? You come to the dad and be like, go off to the state and then have no touch points with him after that. You're having this entire, like this confirmation hearing come up. Apparently you're very scared about your position, but you're doing absolutely nothing actively to affect the lives of like if you want these people to go into hiding you're not actually doing anything you you sick Kwon Minu this dude you barely know uh, onto your <laughs> daughter and I like forget her fire this is the most hard-hearted villainous of, of you, effort ever do you think there's something of like sort of typecasting in that as well because like like the moment Jin Kyung turned up I was like getting Pinocchio vibes you know like um, her <laughs> as Pakshin's mom I love mom. her so much why I mean but, I hate her so much uh, when she's yeah. those characters so when yeah. she appeared I was like yes got my hate pants on and then it's because she has short she hair it's because she has short no, hair no it's just it? because she was acting like um, <laughs> you know um, her character in Pinocchio but then she stops acting like that and you have that amazing scene, you know, the one oh, that you wrote about eight. where, oh. yeah, where oh. they have that conversation and she asks, do you resent me? And then you're like, oh, maybe she's not a villain. And then you're like, this is Jingyong mastery because she makes you hate her so intensely. But then she's so good at this very complex emotion. And you're like, oh, but then... She regresses. The drama was all downhill from there. Yeah. yeah, that, so, yeah. The, unfortunately. And then you're like, that's so disappointing. Just, she should have exited stage left at that point and been no longer any part of the story. It Because it yes, was a perfect closure point. Yeah, see, this she, is... She, that too. This is mm-hmm. what I... Kind of my conclusion about this drama is that it was both too short and too long. Like, mm. it was too long for telling the story that it told. But it was too short for not finishing off all of the things that you know, all of these loose, like, development lines and arcs and these things. Like, if you had a few more episodes, maybe you could have developed those things a bit more. You could have given us a better send-off. You could have put yong in a better place. That was not her brother. You could have had <laughs> yong Suki maybe becoming her new boss in a new firm. Yeah. I think if the drama had had more episodes, that would have they would have still fumbled the ball. Like, right, but this is kind I agree. of... It, like, this yeah. is the quandary of the show. It's like, you know, a film writer writing a drama. They just run out of steam at a point. Like, being able to tell a 16 Not only a film story. writer, a writer who has only written one film and oh. it was about an autistic <laughs> witness. Right. Yeah. And her whole thing was like, what if a witness to a crime was autistic? How would that mm-hmm. change the crime? Like it's the just... show needed a co-writer that was a drama writer. Yes. Because it yes. did feel a lot like a procedural in a way that could have been better than it was. Mm. I think, yeah, they just, you you needed another so, writer. I, I want us to talk about Junho and you and, and Youngwoo, and I think we really need to. But like one last thing I do want to say about like the writing of the drama as a whole is like what really disappointed me about this is like in the first half, you saw a lot of the realities of what somebody with autism in th- in this that presents in this specific way and like how, you know, the situation that Youngwoo is in, like how that would play out in a way that really made you think that like they were showing you all of this because they were going to deconstruct it or like challenge it or you know bring up the problems with it or like resolve it in some way and by the end it was like oh well they're just showing us that's it Mm -hmm. you know like the same thing with the dad like you know they did show us a way that like parents of autistic children can raise their kids in a way that like harms them but then like they don't deal with it they're just like oh this is just the way it is like the same thing with like the prejudice that she faces like you think that they bring it up because they're going to deal with it in some way and they're like oh yeah this is just the world like 
it just yeah and so i think if it was longer it wouldn't have been better because that's just their perspective like it's mm. they're just the limits of their perspective longer with a writer who knew how to finish yeah, and you know they're yeah. talking about season two but they're like oh we're not mm. gonna do it unless we have the same writer the same director all the same cast members i'm like no thank you no, i don't want this fair, writer back no no i i don't have a problem with this writer but i really need her to take on board a co-writer like somebody yeah, with drama exactly. experience and somebody with experience writing a different kind maybe you know what i i don't know why it, maybe the writer of be melodramatic i don't know why i think it would be a perfect fit for this drama but i suppose she's like too busy right now <laughs> um oh, for season 2 it occurs to me that possibly that whole thing about uyungu uh staying in hanbada that may change in season 2 because of the number of hints that have been dropped throughout about her thinking about it like whether she wants to stay in hanbada long term she is a rookie when like for practically till the end of season 1 she just gets confirmed at the very end and so now she is like a proper employee of hanbada she can leave a year later i mean usually you don't really have um lawyers making decisions this big like in the first 6 months of their employment you you'd have that happen a couple of years into you know working with in a company and you'd realizing it's never going to change i have to change and you move out and work for somebody different and she's starting to have opportunities she has the lawyer uh from episode what was it 13 14 something um, like that yeah and then she also has most likely myungsuki hopefully deciding to leave <laughs> and taking Uyungu, uh with yeah. I really don't see Uyungu thriving under anybody the way she thrived under um mm. Yungsuki and we haven't really seen her in that kind of an uncomfortable situation I don't think Rani Jang kind of it was representative of all lawyers that she would work with and under in the future like he was just out and out horrible it's like Yungsuki was the best and Rani Jang was the worst I actually and think that he's quite representative of the kind of boss she could expect to meet yeah totally yeah. incompetent Chaitahid is great can I just say I love Chaitahid he's, <laughs> he's, he's, awesome. he's, he's awesome he's so good <laughs> <laughs> even when you hate his guts can I just add one thing before you move on yeah I also want to add something go sir Okay. <laughs> I did get the sense though and because by the time the end of the show rolled round they were in talks for a second season. So I do wonder if they le- left a lot of those threads open because they thought they would pick them up in a second season and this is why second seasons are the worst. Just like finish the story. <laughs> Just give us the whole story and if you get a se- second season then start again. Gosh. But doesn't it feel like like some parts of these definitely It felt like they wanted a second season and yeah. wanted to leave right. some stuff. Right, it was. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like the things, yeah. a lot of the things that we're dissatisfied mm, about, like her staying at Amber. Yeah, I do think that that is very much down to sort of maybe angling for that second season and starting a development point there. The thing that I wanted to say was, um, so the interview that we mentioned early on in um, this episode... uh it was a newson interview in korean with the writer and director which anisa painstakingly translated to english and it's available on our blog we'll put the link below definitely yeah. we keep calling it an interview it was actually a, like a press conference q and a so it wasn't like one person sitting down it was like all the reporters from different outlets <gasps> kind of asking them and them responding right. just wanted to clarify that mm-hmm. yeah exactly um and there is a specific line anisa translated and it's by the writer munjuwon and i think this is i'm so 
okay, let me just read this out. This is the translation to English, by the way. Um, she says at one point, um, she's talking about a, a writer's effect on like the morality, the themes of the story. And she says, when the creator tries to say something through the work, the viewers quickly feel that and become bored. So rather than trying to say, I'm careful not to speak. I didn't write lines like, let's live like Choseon, let's not live like Kwon Minu, except she did. She did. And the thing is, she didn't do it effectively. Or rather, she, she didn't. She didn't say she's right. She didn't say it. And she should have. And when she finally did say it, it was like a throwaway line where Choseon tells Kwon Minu, change because I want you to. Yeah, that, that, was, that was my entire point. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just, I, I really feel like this writer and this director, they created something kind of awesome, except their self-awareness somehow evaporated halfway through the writing process. Right. Okay, yeah. I'm done. Now let's okay. move on to <laughs> the romance. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. I have like, Zainab, do you have something to say? I heard your no, little laugh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you can hear me. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's what the microphone is for. Um, I, I, I think, so for me, I really loved their relationship up until they got together. I thought it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was lovely. It was everything I wanted. Once they got together, there was a lack of communication and a like weird, I just didn't like where it went. And I think they could have still resolved that issue at the end, you know, like the even though they made Young Woo act really weird by not telling him why she was breaking up with him. Okay, but then she eventually did tell him it was a weird choice not to, to just like go black at the end of that scene when she eventually told him, This is why I'm like I'm like, I don't think I can have a relationship with you. And then it just goes black. Like they didn't give him a chance to respond. We don't know what he said, if he said anything. And then at the end, this garbage <laughs> line that he says about like you're like a cat and it's okay if I don't, if I feel lonely because I still love doing all the things that you love to do. And then she's like, oh, but like, it's not unrequited love because the cat cats love their owners too. And I was just like, that is, so I know, you know, like the, the line with the, where the writer was talking about how, like when she found, you know, Kang Teo and he described how this metaphor of like with an autistic person, with a relationship with an autistic person, it's like you're taking a cat for a walk and you just have to like let the cat be independent, but then just like help them when they're getting close to danger. Or, I mean, I, I have heard that there are like, there are people like I personally am not autistic, but I've heard from autistic people that like, they like that metaphor and that they, some people do use that metaphor of like comparing neurotypical people to dogs and autistic people to cats. But I just feel like when it's coming not from that person, but when it's like externally coming from someone else, I, I don't know. I, I still feel uncomfortable with it. And even if that if they were going to use that metaphor, like the way it was written into the script made me feel very upset. I don't know. I want to hear y'all's thoughts. I know Zainab pretty much you feel the same way as I do, right? Yeah. I, I mostly agree with you guys. I have read a lot of uh, posts by autists um, on, on Tumblr and mostly on Tumblr, actually. You know, Tumblr a lot lately. <laughs> you um, knew him. Yeah, I knew <laughs> And a majority of them have liked the metaphor, but they mostly were talking about the interview. In the interview, 
she mentions that Kang Tae-ho said that the way he envisions his performance, his scenes with Uyungu, is uh, like a, a, a an owner trying to, or right, like a person trying to, uh, you know, walk their cat, and they just go wherever they want to, and the person tries, the human tries to like make sure nothing bad happens to them, and a lot of people really like that. Um, and because this this uh, metaphor went all over the internet, even when people didn't actually have access to the translated thing. Um, and a lot of people were like, yeah, we get, yes, actually, like, don't try to uh, hold our hands or, or constantly, you know, keep us in a protected space. Let us wander around, just, you know, be available so we can fall back on you. That's, that's a good, we like that. This is, again... This is not homogenous. Some people feel this way. Some people like the metaphor. However, the writer then using Kang Teho's metaphor in her own writing, or why should I just blame the writer? The writer and director, since they clearly were uh, working together on the script, um, deciding to put this in the script and also letting Kang Teho say it, it's, yeah, it's that's gross. awkward. Yeah. It's that is seriously awkward. So again, yesterday, while I was typing out my furious notes on Kwon Minu, I saw a post by uh, a Korean artist who said that this cat line, the line wasn't that owners are usually in an unrequited love with their cats. It was the word he used was apparently not owner, but butler. It was a term that... Yeah, I suppose so. I, I, I don't know what the translation was. But they said that it's it's a common word used by cat uh, people in South Korea to refer to themselves as cat butlers and not owners, which I, I honestly find super endearing. Anyway, so any that that was actually the line. It wasn't that the owners love their cats, it was butler. Technicality, I, I understand, but I just yeah. wanted to put it out there. I mean, that's cute. And I was too angry to like hear it. I was just reading the subtitles, but I still feel like the sense is similar. Okay, go ahead, Zainab. Yeah, no, that's just what I was going to say. Like, even if I just feel like the whole context of that, like having your boyfriend say that to you is I don't know. And then like, it doesn't matter what you call it. That relationship is still like owner and pet. Yeah. So like, yeah, the I just feel like no matter how you describe it, like the pet and the human are never going to be on the same level. They're not equal. Yeah, yeah. they're never going to be equals like. Some people consider their pets their child. Some people consider it like their pet, you know, but like it's still you are the you're that is your animal. Like, I think you understand what I'm saying. Sorry. Right. Um, but like this is a relationship like Wu is still is like a capable is a is a human, you know, like it's two humans having a relationship with each other. And so I feel like for him to say that to her was just kind of awkward especially like at a point where they're trying to get back together and also like it just wasn't that wasn't the issue there's like so many issues that they just didn't address and just like tried to smooth it over with one like quirky metaphor yeah and and i think also the way that the metaphor was used in the interview where the writer where they were describing it as like a type of personality and a type of dynamic whereas here he's saying He's kind of quantifying his love for her. Yeah. And that's different, right? As as the resident cat owner here. <laughs> I don't I don't think he was trying to quantify his love. Um, I still think it was a super awkward line, should not have been used that way. Yeah. Especially should not have come out of Kang Teho. But with the whole see uh, okay, I 
am, let's just quantify this. I am not somebody who's, who generally feels uh, offended by any kind of animal comparison. You can call me a cat or a dog or whatever. That's never an insult to me. Um, even though I understand that there are social, you know, what do you call it? Like tags to these kind of comparisons. But especially when you're trying to see something about a person's personality or like connection or relationships. I understand that the language has slightly evolved and I don't feel offended. So when I hear metaphors like this, I don't really hear a human is being equated to animal. I hear that some like because we humans tend to use examples to try to explain very difficult concepts. And we have had a deep relationship with animals for millennia. This is an easy example to reach. And it's also uh, that one of the relatively more consistent, even though shallow things that the story had done in the last few episodes is in their relationship. In episode, I think, 13 or 14, when Uyongu sees myung relationship how with his ex and how the ex basically said that he'd always made me feel so alone. It wasn't because myung was autistic. It was because he was obsessed with his work. He was a workaholic. And he forgot about his wife sometimes. <laughs> And Uyungu recognized that in herself and realized that this is a problem that she and, uh, what's his name, Juno, already have. But because she's autistic, she just decides that this thing cannot be resolved and breaks up with him, which, as we have covered, seemed a very uncharacteristic thing for her to do, especially not explaining it. But since that was her problem, the conflict was that she thought she made him feel alone. When he presses for an explanation much later in episode 15 or 16, she says, but I do make you feel alone. And he apparently couldn't come up with a reply to that because it's true. She does make him feel alone. This is a very consistent thread that they used in the last. I don't think that is the only problem they have. The fact that the guy has no background whatsoever is one of the bigger problems. Um, So he's literally like a cardboard cutout. Doesn't have like a 3D. Anyway, um, So them addressing that part, how uh, you can feel alone even when you love someone, something, to say that when I love my cat, even though the cat is moody and doesn't pay me much attention, doesn't let me cuddle the cat when I desperately need to cuddle the cat, some affection, please. I still take great joy from caring for the cat. That is not a bad metaphor. It was just used in the worst situation possible, is all I was trying to say with Everything I just said. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked the way... I liked it in the interview the, because I felt it was very illustrative and as a metaphor, it was really useful. But then the way that it came out in the show, you're right, like everything that you guys have said, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the thing. But I guess this sort of points to the problem of, like, you know, the perfect man, which Juno was. He didn't develop, he didn't need to develop, he didn't have backstory. He was just this kind of reactionary figure who was able to take Yongu in all of her various expressions of herself. Which, to a point, is, you know, amazing. I remember texting you guys like episode 8 or 10 or something saying, I'm fine if this is just a romance for the rest of the drama. Um, But yeah, then it, it did all of those uncharacteristic things. And I think... My problem with this towards the end, you know, as you watch their relationship go through the unraveling period, is that it placed Juno in this position of being her caretaker at all times. 
And it's one thing when you see that relationship between Yongu and her father, because the father's job is to be the caretaker in that relationship, at least for a very long time. And in Yongu's case, longer than maybe for, you know, neurotypical children. So in that situation, you understand that there's an inequality that is sort of inherent to the relationship. But when you bring that to a romantic relationship, I think that's really, it's it's a problem. You know, people need different things at different times. There are times in our relationships, in our romantic relationships, where you do need to have that care taken. And there are times when you will be the caretaker. Mm-hmm. Like there's got to be a kind of a mutuality in a romantic relationship, which I feel this relationship is robbed of when you put it in that cat situation. Because it's saying mm-hmm. that Juno's role is the giver and her role is the taker. And rather than giving an opportunity for Yongwu to be confronted with the fact that she's not emotionally giving enough to Juno, Like, she can be told that. She's an adult woman. Even if she's autistic, she can be told by somebody that she has these feelings for. And who has these feelings for her? I need you to give me more emotional mutuality in this relationship. And she has to do the work for that. Like, because she's autistic doesn't mean she's unable to do that work. She needs to be told that she needs to do that work. Because, you know... Autistic people can be very literal-minded and you need to be explicit. Like, you need to give clear and specific instructions for her to be able to do this thing. But to to be like, you know what, you can go your own way and I will sort of just be here as the receiver of your um, autism. And this I mean in a very literal sense of your self-focusedness. Then you're shortchanging the relationship. Like... You're saying that we can't place demands on autistic people because they you're immediately like undermining their capacity to do that. Not everyone will be able to do, you know, express that mutuality in the way that you want it. But you have to find that out. And many people will be able to. Oh, and there's another point that uh, I wanted to bring up earlier is that um, and the show doesn't address this, but like real life, even real life doesn't express this. But female autism actually expresses very differently to male autism in, in many cases. And there's a reason, uh, this is the reason why female autism is so underdiagnosed. Um, because, you know, women, girls undergo different kind of social conditioning from like the earliest age. The way that they express their differentness or the way that they um, do not express it is... It's such an intrinsic part of the female autism experience that, you know, like, oh, it's just the character of Yongwu was like this classic Aspie, like the way that you expect to see, you know, I mean, we don't use the term anymore, but it's still quite an easy shorthand to describe someone at the higher functioning uh, end of the spectrum. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So female autism can... Like, it goes under the radar so, 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 so much. So, like, the type of autism that Yongwu was expressing is actually probably the least, um, I don't want to say prevalent, but you know what I mean when I say that. Probably the one that you're less likely to experience in your real life. I've experienced that kind of autism in, like, two men that I know in my life, Um, but I've never met females women, girls with that kind of autism. The kind of autism you're much, much, much more likely to see in women is just the one that comes out as this 
socially weird person who has all of these weird needs that annoy everybody and also has no sense of judgment in many situations. You know, there was this part in um, when they went away further, when they went to Jeju Island and Suyeon was being annoyed with, uh, what's her name, Youngwoo about all of her sleep needs. I was just chortling all the way through it. There's a reason why I can't sleep over anywhere. Because I have so many sleep needs and they embarrass me. It has to be like this. It has to be like that. Like, it's annoying for other people. And I understand it's annoying for other people. So, like, we solve those problems by just not going into those spaces, right? Not putting yourself in the situation where you have to act more normal than you're capable of acting. And, yeah. yeah. What was my point with that? I don't even remember. I think you made your point, dude. Yeah, you made your point very well about... (laughs) The, I think the other thing that I would add on to that is, you know, like, I feel like this writer who does not understand how dramas should be written did do this like episode 13 or 12 or whatever breakup um, without understanding the reason that those breakups happen, which we've talked about, right? The reason that you see that breakup in most romances around episode 12, 13 is because you want to be able to believe as a viewer that this couple, I mean, as annoying as we find it. The reason is so that you can believe that like once the drama ends, they get back together, they overcome whatever issue they had, that they're going to last, that Mm. they can, you know, survive military enlistment. That's why it's always two years. They can survive (laughs) family drama. They can survive like, uh, you know, work, life struggles, whatever it is that they're dealing with. They can Mm. get through that and they can still overcome that. And so you Mm. can imagine their happy ending lasting for a very long time, whether they get married at the end or whatever type of situation they're in like you want to have that cemented yeah but here they just broke up because that's what happens in episode 13 and they got back together because that's what happens in episode 16 and Mm -hmm. the drama writer didn't i mean the writer and the director didn't understand why they should have broken up and thus they never really resolved those issues and they just came back and like papered over everything so it's very unsatisfying exactly and what you don't want is to leave the drama like, you know, you finish the show and now you're thinking, well, Juno is going to be lonely in that relationship and he's accepted that. That's not what you want to know. That's not mm. how you want to leave them. You want to leave them in a place where they are both capable of showing the equal amount of care to each other, of fulfilling each other's needs in the relationship in a mutual way, because that's what that kind of relationship is. Like, he doesn't need to be her parent. She has a parent. His job is not to be that sort of um, caretaking figure. I'm sorry, I've overused that word. His, you know, people have their own roles in a relationship, but they have an equal right to receive from the other person what they put in. And they have their responsibilities to put in, you know, a certain amount as well. Like the mutuality is so, so important in a relationship like that. And they they left it at a place where they're saying, well, it's okay if the relationship's not mutual because Young is special. Sure, she's special, but so is Juno. (laughs) And... Again, this drama is doing that same thing of like bringing up a problem and then just be like, oh, like this is just the way it is. And like, so then it's just proving his sister's point that like you're always going to be at a disadvantage in this relationship. The drama seems to be saying like, yeah, he is. Mm. And everyone's right. And being ableist is fine because that's just how it is. And it's not just ableist. It's also exceptionalist. Like it's mm. ableist in the way that it treats Yongu, but it also exceptionalizes Yongu in a way that it's like, well, because she's special, she gets to sort of not be held to account for the things that she is capable yeah. of, like, you know, um, doing. 
She has the capacity to do many things. And this isn't the same thing, so don't um, misunderstand me when I'm talking about this. Do you remember uh, a while back that there was um, that interview with a doctor who was studying, I think, psychopathy or sociopathy, something like that. And he was like, um, as I did my research, I realized that, that this was all describing me. And this man who was living a normal life, but obviously had something sort of below the surface that he didn't quite feel like everyone else, but he was fulfilling the thing, like he was doing what he needed to do. So this is like, in his case, it was the example of someone who was like a psychopath in the sort of the DSM um, definition of it. But he was also someone who's capable of fulfilling all of his duties and responsibilities towards other people. Like he had a wife, mm. he had children, he did, um, you know, everything he needed to do. And same with autists. They're able to do those things at varying levels and, you know, in varying um, degrees. But people are able to, to put the work in. You don't sort of, I know, I don't, I just, I'm not happy with the exceptionalization of Yong as someone who gets to be completely yeah. free of and social obligations. It, and that's what it feels like the drama is saying about her. because, And it comes out of Minu's mouth of all people when mm. they have that confrontation, when Suyan is, has that confrontation with her about like, you know, at the, with that last case where um, Yangu gets kicked out and Suyan's like, why didn't you let me say anything to lawyer Jang? And like, you know, and he's like, because... If Young Woo, you know, does something that people don't like, she's such a genius that like no one's going to say anything to her. But you and I are different. So what is that? That's literally <laughs> what the drama is telling us. Yeah. And that kind of makes you think that the that the creators actually believe this about Young Woo, that yeah. because she's a genius, she'll get a pass. Um, mm. And the and the creators and, and agree she deserves with it. Minu and, and yeah. yeah, but like also the creators agree with Minu, which kind of makes me wonder if mm. that is why they never address his prejudice because they didn't quite understand because, his right. prejudice. Yeah, um, because right, you know, right. I'm not so that whole thing of like out. they, we thought that they were pointing out a problem and they were just showing us the world as they saw it. Yeah, and the odd thing is that about their relationship the negotiation that happens in every adult relationship happened in their relationship early on. Remember the phone call they had? She called him because yeah. she wanted to see him and then she was about to hang up and Juno was like, <laughs> I'm not done talking. Right. So you need to check in with me to see if I'm done talking. And she's like, oh, are you done talking? He's like, no, I want <laughs> to talk some more. So talk to me. I love that. It yeah. was very yeah. unusual. I wasn't used to dialogue like that, but it also felt like something two adults in a relationship who are comfortable being that direct would say to each other, how did we go from there to I sat beside you three hours at an arcade and didn't tell you that I was bored out of my mind? How did it? How did that happen? Yeah. And we needed to see how it happened. We needed to see if Juno was going from I'm clear and direct with her to I need to compromise, compromise, compromise in his own head. We needed to see from Juno's perspective why he thought that was necessary. Is it because he was intimidated by how clever Uyungu is and how busy she is with cases and he didn't want to like... On top of everything else that she was going through, he didn't want to add another thing with like constantly introducing new concepts to her in that pay attention to me. He felt like he needed to diminish himself. Like, I am coming up with storylines. Why am I coming up with storylines? The, 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 the drama should have been giving us stuff from... Ju yeah, that's that was that was what I wanted to talk about. That annoyed <laughs> Yeah, so no, much. I know. I 100% I agree. Yeah. So with all of that said, 
my closing thought on on this is that for all of the things that extraordinary attorney set out to be wanted to be tried to be and was and wasn't you do have to kind of acknowledge at the end of it all that one show can't serve all stories so this one show is not going to tell the story of every autistic person it can't and like ultimately you know the end game solution to that problem is have more stories which is the same thing that we say about you know racial representation and other uh, stories about marginalized people in groups that one story is never enough but it's a good start it's yeah. a good start True. Yeah. And I do I do want to give credit to the director and writer for like explicitly saying that like multiple times in that press conference where they did say, here's all of our intentions. And we recognize, you know, like they were self-aware about the fact that it did have its limits and that there was something missing from, you know, the portrayal that they they brought to us and that they do hope to see more stories in the future. And they do hope to see stories where like you know, an autistic actor complete an autistic character. Like, I do appreciate that not only were their intentions good, but they weren't also doing that thing of like, well, our intentions are good, so you can't criticize us. They're mm-hmm. like, please do criticize us. We're listening. And and I think that's like, I give them props for that, especially because they probably weren't expecting very many people to even watch this. Right. Given, you know, and so like this scrutiny and this popularity was like probably really overwhelming for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I do I do want to acknowledge that. Zeno, mm-hmm. last words. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with everything that you guys said. And I just want to say, like, y'all are so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you are so smart. How are you so young and so smart? She's very, yeah, she's very smart. (laughs) Mashallah. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was actually, this was great. We need to have you on more often. So, like, you get used to, you know, like, speaking in. with us also yeah exactly <laughs> it's a learned art <laughs> yes it took us a yeah. while no, as well like Appy's yeah Appy's always like oh you want to come on this episode and I'm like I don't know do they want like I we always wanna... want you we always want you okay. yeah we so, do to come on come. anytime you want to talk about any yeah. of that's what I told her but yeah tell her in person so yeah, she I believes like, me I don't want like she's just forcing her sister like, <laughs> <laughs> never never my sister okay. refuses to listen. She's like, I hear you enough from your room anyway. I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, like, a lot of times me and Zainab have such interesting conversations about, like, the movies we watch. Like, we'll go to the movies, we'll come back, we'll, like, have an interesting discussion. And, like, you guys enjoy need that. to start like, recording yeah. our discussions. That's what. <laughs> mm, yeah. I'd take those episodes. We'll give them to our patrons. <laughs> <laughs> we I like when I go to the movies with my friends afterwards like everyone's like yeah that was a good movie and I'm like oh I need to go watch a movie with Annie like we would have had such a talk about this right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah not everyone is interested in having like a critical analysis yeah. of like yeah. what we liked and didn't like about the movie some people are just like yeah that was fun let's go eat dinner you know <laughs> yeah and you're like is that it yeah I mean like, how I need is to that break this watching? down scene for yeah. scene yeah. yes yeah. exactly um should we wrap up then with our ending yeah. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's. Mm-hmm. do you want to be found on Twitter or you would rather uh, not? Yeah, no, don't find me on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. You can share my TikTok if you want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Really? What's, what's your handle? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just make, I only have like coffee videos. <laughs> so. <laughs> but her coffee drinks are amazing. So you can go and check out her co- coffee videos. Yeah, I have yeah. to start making more videos then. So what's your handle? Yeah, it's a grape fairy. Grape, like the the fruit. 
Okay, yeah. fruitless grape berry. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> and where can people find us? They can find us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find me, Saya, at Not Now Saya. You can find me at Anissa Khalifa underscore. You can find me, Parma, at Festa Foster. Dramas Overflowers also has an Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And you can email us at Dramas Overflowers at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. You just search for Dramas Over Flowers. And our website is dramasoverflowers.net. That's where you can find the translated interview that I did um, of director Yuanchik and writer Munjiwan. I will yeah. also link it yeah. in the description. And you can sign up for our newsletter. The link is in the description. And Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Zainab. Thank you, Zainab. Thank you, Zainab. Zainab. (laughs) And we'll catch you all next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.